like it's like anytime you walk through a door that you were afraid to walk through, not a literal door, but maybe maybe a literal door, right? You, you get on the other side of the thing and you often think, right? Wow, well, that was easier than I thought it would be. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that empowers professional women to rise. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik. And in this show, I take you undercover into the stories and lessons that I learned, sometimes the hard way, throughout my career. I also talk with working women, leaders, and coaches to show you that no matter what your struggle is and no matter what your career goals are, you already have all the talent that you need to succeed. If you were to ask me, what has been the hardest for me? What are those one or two or three places in my career where I have felt very, very stuck? Assertiveness would be really, really high, potentially at the very top of that list. Even now, when I say the word assertiveness, it still has this charged negative connotation for me. And the reason it has that is because it was a massive point of struggle. I got feedback very early on in my career that I needed to become comfortable becoming more assertive and that I needed to assert my opinions and be disagreeing with people more often. And that terrified me. I hated getting this feedback because I knew that it was true, but I really didn't want to do it because I had no idea how. And it felt so scary and it felt so deeply uncomfortable. So for a while, I didn't know what to do with it. And I think asserting ourselves is hard for a lot of people, not just for me, because Speaking up and using the voice and contributing our ideas is one thing, but assertiveness implies some sort of conflict or tension, which means that when we do it, we feel like we're putting ourselves at risk. So that can be really, really scary. So it can be tempting to opt out and convince ourselves that you know, maybe the point that we wanted to make or the area that we disagree is not that important. I <laughs> have had so many times where I've rationalized the crap out of something and just told myself that it wasn't that important and that I wasn't going to disagree or speak up because actually it didn't matter that much. And that was a lie. That was a flat out lie. That was just a weird brain mechanism that I developed to give myself an excuse to take the easy way out. And that's okay. I don't want to judge myself for that. And I don't really want to judge anyone who has troubles asserting themselves because I think that it's normal for us to sometimes get stuck not sharing what we want to share and not expressing that. And I think it's also normal for us to not want to admit that that's the case because we all want to be strong and we want to be empowered and we want to be able to express ourselves in these situations where it can be incredibly difficult. And 
That's why I wanted to have a really open, honest conversation about assertiveness with this week's guest, Courtney Keaton. Courtney is a very successful leader in corporate America and has done incredible things in her career. And in this conversation, she opens up about places where assertiveness has been hard for her and why it's been hard. But my favorite is the advice and the encouragement that Courtney gave for all of us to get more deeply connected to what it is we want, to be very clear on our opinions and our needs, and over time to practice and get more comfortable asserting those needs in all kinds of situations. I hope that through listening to this and through hearing Courtney open up about her experiences, I hope you see that if this is hard for you, you're not alone. And I especially hope you see that getting better at this and getting in touch with your strength and your voice is so possible and so accessible and something that you can make progress on and start doing immediately. The minute this episode is over, you can change your mindset and start looking for and finding ways to connect with your assertiveness in ways that make you feel empowered. And with that, I'm going to cut straight into my conversation with the incredible Courtney Keaton. <laughs> I love it. Everyone in the podcast world says like, this is going to happen to you. You're going to forget yes. to record. And every time I get really paranoid and I'm so <laughs> glad that I caught it, I'm thanking the Lord right now. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to restart, rewind, re-ask okay. you the question. Okay. Great. And then we'll go in. Ah, I'm so happy I realized. So let's start out by getting to know you a little bit. So tell us who you are, a little bit about your career and what you do. Sure. Well, I'll start by saying I'm a feminist. I'm a mom of two, a boy and a girl. And uh, I have been for the past 15 to 20 years, a commercial leader in the healthcare tech space. So leading sales and client engagement teams. Wonderful. And how did you get there? Uh, did you start in that field? Kind of what did that arc look like for you? Yeah, actually, it, did, it didn't start there at all. Um, and my arc has been kind of an interesting one, at least interesting to me anyway. I actually uh, have a master's of fine art from Yale, and I essentially went to uh, the drama school at Yale <clears throat> and uh, then ran a theater company in New York City for several years. Um, I loved it. It was tough, but I was up for the challenge. I was in my sort of early to mid-20s in New York running a storied theater company with um, lots of really brilliant artists. And I was lured to corporate America by a woman who became my mentor who recruited me to work for her. So I moved from the nonprofit art world, theater world in New York City to corporate America uh, in my mid-20s. Wonderful. That must have been a challenging transition in some ways, I would guess. It was. I mean, it's interesting to look back on it now that I've got, uh, you know, a number of years between that time and present day. And you know, on one hand, it was challenging. On the other hand, you know, I was sort of so young and so hungry and so interested in learning all things that it was just a really exciting challenge. I never lost my love of the arts, my love of theater. But what I very quickly understood about the theater world and the art world in general is that um, unless I had a lot of money or a lot of experience that I was going to need to pay my dues in that space, 
And I'm just a wildly impatient person and had no interest in paying any dues. And so I made a leap to, to a path that I thought at the time would be sort of the faster path to, you know, the things that I wanted at the time, status, money, experience, uh, so on and so forth. And, you know, it served me well. I will say that my friends who did not jump off that path are now, you know, some of the greatest sort of artists and artist leaders <laughs> in the United States. So anyway, it's been interesting to kind of look back at that path. But I started in the nonprofit art world. So I did not have a sort of from A to B type experience. And one thing that we've talked about and that has been super important in both of our careers, and I'm so excited to hear you chat about, is this idea of assertiveness and the journey of learning how to share our opinions and our thoughts, sometimes in difficult situations. So I would love to hear how that experience has been for you throughout your career. Sure. Well, you know, it's been varied and it's been up and down, but I would say in general, there have been sort of three stages, if you will. So I think in the beginning, uh, my focus was on assimilation, particularly, I think, because I made a jump from the nonprofit art world with a master's of fine arts to a very corporate environment. And so at the time, I felt like, and this was for years, I felt like I had to assimilate, right? I had to look the part, dress the part, speak the part. And, I, you know, that helped me to be really successful quickly, right? Because I was able to kind of fit into um, the pro the right profile. Um, and then I think um, as I became a leader, so a manager of others, a leader of teams, a leader of business units, I had to move from that sort of assimilation phase and take all the things that I learned there that served me well there and also have a greater voice and a greater uh, perspective on who I would be in those roles within those companies, right? So I, the, the move out of assimilation and into more of myself started to take hold. And now I would say I'm presently in the third stage of that, which is uh, I continue to be a leader and a leader in the corporate sector and a leader of teams and others. Um, and I feel very much that I have found my voice and I feel like it's almost, it's not full circle, but it's in some ways sort of opposite to where I started, where I found my voice and I think it's important to have an authentic and therefore oftentimes unique voice and the assimilation piece doesn't fit in my world hardly at all anymore, which is interesting to live and interesting to look at relative to where I started. It can be really interesting when something that you do that was sort of a way to succeed, you begin to realize that you actually need to pivot and that all of a sudden you're in this situation where now you have to unlearn some of that stuff and untrain some of that stuff. Yes. And that's not easy, right? Some pieces of it may come naturally because you're forced into roles where you're a leader and you have to have an opinion, the opinion, and you have to sort of share it with others. But it's, you know, I, I say this all the time and we've spoken before about this, you know, this is a journey, like there's no destination. I used to think that there was a destination for a long, long time. And now I'm just old enough and experienced enough to know that there'll, there will never be a destination. This is just one 
stage. This is just one part of the, the journey. I'm sure in 10 years, I'll look back and be reflective about where I am now, and it will be a different place to where I am then. So, um, and that's freeing. So as challenging as it can be to pivot, it can be really tough emotionally. It can be tough physically. It can be tough mentally, right? Um, it's, you know, change often is, but um, there is some real liberation that comes with the understanding that there's no destination. Yeah. I mean, as you grow and develop, you then go for bigger challenges. And totally. So you yeah. find yourself feeling that same friction that you felt and it can give you the illusion that you're not progressing. It can. But, you know, the more often you go through it, the more you say, oh, I've been in this spot before. I know what this friction feels like and I'm not as afraid of it as I once was. Yeah, it's true. You start to have that pattern recognition and you can kind of step back and say like, oh, this is situation X. OK, I remember what happened last time. I know what to do. Right. Or I gosh, I have no idea what to do. But that's OK, because I've been in that spot before, too, and I've emerged just fine. So um so, it, you know, I think, there, again, it's kind of the further along this journey you are, the more free you are and because you've just been through similar circumstances so many times. It doesn't mean that it's not as difficult. I mean, it, it, I'm certainly not here to paint a rosy picture that by the time you're in your 40s and you've been working in corporate America for almost two decades, that it's easy breezy. It's not. And in some ways, it's much more difficult because you are so much more aware of things than you were 10, 15 years ago. Um, but there is some liberation in just knowing that uh, you can you can handle it because you've handled it before. It's so powerful when you stop getting tripped up over the unknown because yes. you're able to get it as the unknown. That's exactly <laughs> right. True in life and work, right? So true. This idea of like going from a time where you are assimilating to a time when you're starting to become a leader. I know for me, like there was an element of going from a very reactive way of doing things, kind of always responding to people and giving people what they want. And then all of a sudden needing to be more proactive and kind of needing to take initiative more. And I think for me, I don't know if this is something that you relate to, but in addition to just figuring out, oh, how, how do I contribute? How do I talk? How do I speak? Like, I also went through a question of, like, what is even my idea? Like, what do I even think? And it's kind of weird to say that out loud because it sounds so basic, but it, that was really part of the equation for me. And I'm curious if you had ever felt that way as you were evolving. Oh, yes. I think that is very natural, particularly for women, because I I don't think, you know, we we can have the most progressive parents or kind of parental guidance, right, in the world as young women, but the world doesn't expect women to have an opinion, even today, right? And so I don't think there's a ton of practice for young women, young girls to have an opinion or to really, you know, be heard or be asked the questions. And because we don't practice that for so long, that's not expected of us by ourselves and by others as much as it is boys, um, that I think when it comes time to do that in a professional setting, it's confusing and it can be a little difficult. And one can be you know, the most opinionated person in the world. I certainly did not shy away from opinions as a young girl. And I've got a five-year-old girl and she is the most opinionated person in our family but something happens where the world just doesn't expect that of young girls and women. 
in the same way that they expect that of boys. And then when I think women enter corporate America and they enter and they assimilate or they enter and they become leaders, um, we just don't have as much practice, right? It's something that just doesn't come as naturally to us. Um, And I'm so thrilled we're talking about that today because it is a piece of advice that I would give women, which is, you know, practice your voice, practice the assertiveness of your voice, practice having a voice, practice understanding and knowing what your opinion is on everything. And again, you know, I say that back to you, that sounds, gosh, kind of simple. And gosh, that sounds a little old fashioned, Courtney, you know, here we are in 2018. Um, But I, I think it's as true now as it ever has been. I agree. And I think it's really important to talk about it. Obviously, so many of us are feeling it. So it doesn't do anyone any favors to brush it under the rug. Agreed. And pretend like it's not happening. And yeah, that practice can happen outside of work in your personal life. I think it can be very challenging as women to assert ourselves and also finding the way of assertiveness that doesn't feel weird. Yes, right. It doesn't feel totally foreign. That doesn't feel like you're hurting other people's feelings. I don't know about you, but I was raised as a people pleaser, right? Straight A student. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. You know, and always was just, you know, adults loved me because I fell in line. Um, And now, you know, if I go to Starbucks and the barista makes me an order that's wrong, I either don't say anything or I will say, oh, gosh, I'm sorry, but I think this is the wrong order, right? And neither one of those things is correct. (laughs) And I'm not going to hurt the barista's feelings by saying, oh, hey, this is the wrong order. Can you make me the right one? Thanks, right? And to do that sometimes, and I'm in my 40s, sometimes doing that just causes me causes me to feel so uncomfortable that I have to quickly weigh, like, is this worth it or not? And that's what I mean by practice, that I think we all, even when we get to some measure of success with the title, with a, you know, whatever the, the corporate or professional success might look like, um, you still have to practice every day so that your the muscle of your voice um, doesn't atrophy because you need it and you need it substantially in corporate America these days. Thank you so much for sharing that, Courtney, because you're someone who I look up to, who I'm sure listeners will look up to. You're farther along. You've been very successful. You're a very powerful leader, but you're also honest and relatable. And so to hear you say that and to hear you say, oh, it's even hard for me sometimes to like exchange my coffee when it's made wrong at Starbucks. I think that takes the shame around it because if we feel ashamed that this is hard, we can't even admit to ourselves that it's hard. And we just kind of like fly above it instead of being like, wait, what's going on here? It's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. And it's like anything else, you know, this idea of being honest and vulnerable and being able to say, oh gosh, I feel that way too sometimes, right? There's so much power in that. And um, there's power knowing that, you know, the the most senior, most powerful people um, can feel that exact way sometimes, right? So I, I agree. I think it's really important to talk about. And it's why I'm so excited to be here and to talk about it. Oh, me too. And and when you kind of realize that, that actually opens you up to find the power within you. So the first step is, is seeing what's going on and then you can move forward. Right. You you absolutely cannot do the work of finding your voice and strengthening your voice if you don't know when you use it now or when you don't use it now. You have to do the work of that and you have to practice that every day so that it feels very natural to you and does not feel uncomfortable. 
And speaking of uncomfortable, one thing that I got really tripped on is I think people who are very well-meaning, but maybe not seeing into the nuance of some of this stuff would coach me on this. And I feel like I was being coaxed into a very alpha style that felt very weird to me. And I almost felt like I can't do this. So maybe I can't even learn to assert and learn to use my voice because this feels awful. Yes, that is such a good point, right? Because I think because this is so relatively new for women to have a voice, which just sounds crazy to say out loud, but it's true, um, that we think that there's one, and it's not just a we as women, like the world thinks that there's one way for a woman to have a voice, or maybe two ways, right? There's the alpha way, and then there's the sort of more meek, like, yes, whatever you need, dear, <laughs> kind of way, right? And um, I think that this... Um, this discovery around what are the myriad voices that women can have in a, a professional setting? What is what do they sound like? And what you know, what feels comfortable to each woman is a really important conversation because of that. Um, and I agree, and I've been in your place. So, you know, I think even today, I struggle with or I have to evaluate sometimes um, what that voice looks like, because I'm a bit older. I will say that often I default to the quote unquote kind of alpha voice. And I don't think that serves me very well, right? So I, and it's interesting that that's the voice that we expect of quote unquote powerful women. And yet the reaction to that still to this day is not always very positive. And I will say as a leader um, and a leader of women, I think that it doesn't sit well with women often anyway, right? So I think that voice, that alpha voice that you were speaking about um, was developed largely to sort of meet men where they were, right? That sounded familiar to men. So let's use that voice if we're sitting across the executive table from them. Um, but I have to say, you know, when you are a leader of others, some women, some men, you both, you know, you have to be able to sort of speak to, interact with um, each of them and their styles. And so I think that's where it's helpful as a leader to understand how is your voice coming across and is it landing with everyone? And if not, why? And is it your true, authentic voice, right? So, um, so I, you know, I think that we could probably talk a lot about what the voice sounds like. Um, once you find it and you start using it, because that is a key and critical part of this. Absolutely. Yeah. For for me, I mean, it's really been about figuring out what feels right to mm -hmm. me mm -hmm. and trying trying to sound a certain way has had a 100% failure rate for me. <laughs> yes. I can relate to that. I can relate to that. It, it's tough. And that's what I mean. It's sort of a journey, right? And I think it's also situational. And I think being able to read the room and kind of understand what voice is going to play best is helpful. Not that any voice should be inauthentic, but you know, there's no one size fits all in any situation. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I also think like focusing on what's truly important to you and what you care about can be yes. really, really helpful. Yes. So if you have to disagree, well, I care about being respectful and I care about getting all of us to the best answer for our company. Right. So exactly. That'll underlie how I assert this idea. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. One thing before I go to the next couple of questions that I just wanted to 
hit on was, you know, this idea of women sometimes needing more time to get comfortable knowing what we want and saying it out loud and voicing it. And I think there's also a component there of kind of fear of saying something stupid and and waiting until you're absolutely ready. And I would love to hear your thoughts on saying things before you're totally ready so that you can get some of the experience of having a dialogue and learning and, and hearing your ideas responded to. It's practice. It's muscle memory. You just have to get comfortable with saying something that isn't perfect, isn't 100% correct, that people are going to react negatively to, and you have to be okay with it. It is terrifying. It is uncomfortable. It does not grow immediately less so, even if you do it 10 times in one week, right? If you've been raised um, or grew up and you were a people pleaser or you're just a woman and you're not used to uh, asserting yourself and saying the tough thing or saying the thing that may not be correct, um, it's not going to feel comfortable for a long time and maybe ever. But what you have to know and understand is that it is essential for your own kind of personal growth, right? And it's also therefore essential for your professional growth. So I mean, obviously do the work and be thoughtful and don't speak before you think. But, you know, if you think before you speak and you know what you're what you want to say and, and what you want to share, share it. And you have to share it repeatedly. And it doesn't have to be absolutely perfect or even close to perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect or close to perfect. And I think about all the times you sit in meetings with your male colleagues and the things that they say are not always perfect, right? And we're, you know, it's just never going to be that way for us or anyone. And that's absolutely fine. The difference is, is most of the time your male colleagues don't care. They don't think twice about it. They've been raised to have an opinion and to voice that opinion. And that's been praised for decades, you know, probably by the time you're sitting across the table from them or next to them. Um, and we just, we have to get there. We have to push ourselves to get there because we have been raised largely differently and it's going to feel uncomfortable to us, but we have to, you know, be on the same playing field. Have you uncovered any tools that help you in the times where it is hard and like you are talking yourself out of it? Yeah. You know, I think it's forced me to be overprepared, which isn't a bad thing, right? Like I know when I'm going into a conversation with anyone, whether it's a colleague someone who reports to me, if it's a client, um, I've done my homework and I know what I need to get across. I may not know exactly what I'm going to say and when, but I know what I, the important components of what I need to share. So I think doing um, my homework has been helpful to me uh, as for my own process. And I think some level of healthy, you know, sort of dissociation with an outcome or a feeling of shame or fear or, oh my gosh, I'm not perfect, um, is also healthy. And what I mean by that is it doesn't mean that I don't feel those things. It means that over time, I've developed the ability to stop that um, mental cycle of, of recounting it and recounting it and recounting it and recounting, oh, I should have said this, or I can't believe I said that and just replaying it in my brain. I have learned over time how to just shut that down and move on. And that's been uh, essential. That It is so tempting to go down that rabbit hole. I feel like <laughs> it can suck you in with crazy force. It can, with crazy force, with crazy force. And it is absolutely useless. It is a waste of time. Yeah, it, it never makes you feel better. It never makes you feel better. You know, the other thing that I'll say is, you know, in addition to 
really solid prep for almost all conversation uh, and also kind of cutting off that sort of brain loop of woulda, coulda, shoulda in terms of what I wish I wouldn't have said or said differently. The third thing that I've done over time, which I think uh, is a big piece of advice to all listeners is surround yourself with people and especially women who, if you find yourself, you know, kind of cringing from a conversation or disappointed that you didn't say something or whatever the case may be, who you can pick up the phone or quickly text and they will come back to you and remind you of, you know, why you did the absolute best you could do and why men do this all the time and they don't think twice about it. So I would find a good group of powerful women that will remind you what matters. I love that. And and don't treat this as a one-shot thing. And oh, I missed my opportunity. It's absolutely not that. Trust me, I, there's never one opportunity. There are multiple opportunities. And I think if you've done the work to understand what you want to say and you say it the way that feels authentic to you, um, then you've done all the right things and there will be plenty of other opportunities. And, and we can get to this uh, whenever appropriate, I think that's very self-focused, that kind of work. So what is your voice? How does it come across? How do you stop the loop of what it could have, should have posted? How do you surround yourself with people who bolster you and understand your talents and strengths and remind you of those? And I think as women, uh, we need to support our sisters, right? Like our other females in the room and support their voice. And I have a, I have a set of very strong opinions about that. Well, let's go into that. We can always jump around because I think that that's really important. And that's essentially what this show is. So I would love to hear more. <laughs> well, you know, <clears throat> I mean, I think I, so I have been doing a ton of research and self-study on the idea of intersectional feminism. So it's something that is really important to me and that I'm learning, still very much learning a lot about. And it's this notion of, right, a rising tide lifts all boats, that we are responsible for ourselves. And given that we are not always in a position of power in any circumstance, that we, we have an obligation, if you will, to support other women. And in the corporate space or in a professional setting, that is incredibly true. And I remember hearing a couple of years ago uh, about some of the staffers in the Obama administration who um, once Obama was elected and they all sort of came on staff, there were way more men than women. Many of those men had been part of the campaign and the women had not. And so they sort of naturally started supporting each other in meetings. So what that means is they would be sitting in meetings and if one woman made a point, then you know a few minutes later, another woman would say, oh, Susan made that point earlier. Let me reiterate that. That was a great point. And I'm going to make my own point. And then a few minutes later, Marie would say, you know what? Susan made a great point earlier and I'm going to share my point. And so it's this idea of what they called amplification of voices um, where the women in the room, whatever that setting is, committed themselves to having a voice and sharing an opinion and also amplifying the voice and the opinions of their female colleagues. Um, and over time, um, it became very apparent to Obama and the other male staffers in the room that they were doing this. And it, those female staffers would share that it changed the way um, the administration actually even started thinking about women. Over time, they hired many more women and they really bred a, an environment where women were unafraid to speak. So I just love the idea of that. And 
I think I was sort of doing that naturally, but I, after hearing that story, I made it a point to do that in literally every meeting I've ever been in since. I know that sounds a little hyperbolic, but it is true because I'll tell you, I'm, you know, I'm in my forties. I'm often in meetings with men who are my age, who are much older, who are much younger. And um, the mansplaining persists, right? Like I was in a meeting last week where I made a point and suggested a process and not 10 minutes later, a male colleague basically made the same point as his own opinion. And it, it happens. It's just the way, again, it's sort of the way I think men are raised to speak. And it's probably part of some uncovered you know, bias that they have. I don't know. It's not my job to figure out. But it is incredibly important that we focus on amplifying the voices of other women in the room because it's the only way change is going to happen. Self-work is very, very important. But if we are not supporting our, our female colleagues, if we are not amplifying their voices, all the self-work in the world is not going to get us to where we want to go as fast. I love that story so much. And I fully agree with that. And I think the cool thing about that is that we all have different strengths. We all have different forms of privilege that we can exercise mm -hmm. and they're all different. And yes. so whatever we have that we're good at or whatever, you know, whatever quality about us causes us to be in a place of privilege, we can take that and use it. And if we all do that, we can all be helping each other in all of these different ways and using our assets and what we have to lift up other women. Absolutely. And another thing that I'll share just about sort of uh, my journey, if you will, in the different phases of being a woman in the workplace is I have to say, when I started my career, I was more competitive specifically with other women. I definitely felt more competitive than I do now. I do not feel competitive with women anymore. And that's for a number of reasons, not least of which is just sort of age and wisdom. But I, um, but, and I also think it's because I'm focused on amplifying the voices of women at every level that it just, there's no room when you're doing that to feel competitive against other women. There just isn't. It's like, when you are fearful or you're feeling badly about your life or a situation in your life and you know every person will give you the piece of advice that you should you should focus on being grateful and really understanding what you're grateful for it is a similar concept there's just when you're being grateful there's not any room for fear and similarly when you're amplifying the voices of your female colleagues there's not any room for fear or competition um, so i found that to be really useful and I think sometimes we don't even see the ways that we can be benefiting each other and the ways in which it's not zero sum. I had a, yes. I had a friend who negotiated a certain salary as part of her job search and it, you know it was out of the range of what they were offering, but it was what her expectation was and they had to go back to the team and increase the salary of another woman mm -hmm. <laughs> so that she yes. coming in wouldn't yeah. be too high. And to me, that's such an incredible, powerful example of the fact that this is interconnected. This is not about any single one of us, but it's about the collective. It is absolutely about the collective and it's about the collective in present day. And it's about the collective in 10 years, in 20 years, in 40 years. So Trust me when I say the work that we are doing today to support other women and amplify their voices 
may not be felt today or tomorrow as much as we would like, it will be felt in another decade or two or three. And so for me anyway, that gives me some solace when it can be hard that I know that I am working for something much bigger than myself. One last thing I want to ask you before we jump to the listener question is, I think this is something probably both of us have felt, and I think a lot of women are feeling this, which is finding our voices and lifting other women and all of these things. They're great to do. They they can be draining at times, and there can be moments where it just feels like a lot, and mm-hmm. you know you kind of feel like you're running out of steam and frustrated that you have to do more and you know always be trying harder. Have you kind of run into those feelings and and how have you just kept plugging along? Oh, yes. I have run into those feelings and I continue to run into those feelings and I'm sure I will for the weeks and years to come. I, you know, I have no illusion that this is tough work and that it is draining work. Um, But I think it is important work. And it's important because it's about how much we value ourselves, literally how much do I value myself and how much do I value my female colleagues, my friends? How much do I value the experience that my five-year-old daughter will have in a couple of decades? You know, and, and the answer to that is, you know, it's infinite. (laughs) You know, I can't even place a value on how much her future means to me. And I know that that sounds grandiose when, you know, we sort of started talking about how do you speak up in meetings and how, you know, how are you assertive in a corporate workspace? But I make a direct connection from speaking up in a meeting, from speaking up to the barista that made your coffee incorrectly, from speaking up to a dude who's trying to explain to you how to do the job that you've done for two, 10, 15 years, right? The power of speaking up in those circumstances, in my mind, is directly correlated to the experience my daughter's going to have in 20 years. And so for me, there's really no choice. It is draining. And that's where self-care is very, very important. That's where a posse of great girlfriends is incredibly important. Um, but I, you know, it, it's absolutely worth it. And, and to not do it would be to give up and, you know, who wants to do that? I love that. I love that you said that the upside is infinite and I, that doesn't sound grandiose to me at all. That sounds <laughs> just accurate. That sounds like reality to me. Yes. Yes. I'm going to go into the listener question now, if you feel ready for it. Okay, let's do it. Okay. I'll read the question and then I'm going to give you the floor to talk directly to the listener. Okay. So she asks, my work environment is very meeting heavy and collaborative, and I'm noticing that whenever I'm working with people more senior than myself, I get into the habit of not disagreeing and letting them steer my thinking on things, even when I don't think what they're saying is correct. I will do the same when working with my manager. When is it appropriate to voice my ideas and how do I avoid coming off as the young millennial know-it-all? Sincerely, let's agree to disagree. (laughs) Well, first I will say I have been there and I know how bad it feels to be there. So I understand and I empathize. And then I would say it is always appropriate to voice your own ideas and don't work in an environment where you can't. And, you know, you may not be in a circumstance where you can sort of up and leave your job, but I would really consider rethinking where you are if you feel like you can't 
voice your opinion. Um, so that would be one thing. Um, and, you know, kind of hearkening back to what I said earlier, I think the way that you avoid coming across as a millennial know-it-all is to have done the work, done the research, you know, supported the company, um, earned the right to have a voice, right? And if you're in an environment that, you know, sort of hired you because of your intellect, because of your work ethic, because of what you produce, you can trust that if you continue to do that, that they want to hear your voice, right? So I think earning the right to do that and feeling really solid about sharing your voice um, is really important. And then I guess the final thing I might say there is, and you made a great reference to this earlier, Jess, which is, um, you know, be strategic, right? So think about the way that you are positioning your voice, your ask, whatever it is that you're sharing uh, in a way that helps the organization, the team, the manager understand what's in it for them, why you're there to serve them and share your opinion, right? It's in service to the greater good. It's in service to the project. It's in service to your relationship with that person, right? And so be strategic in your positioning um, such that uh, it's very clear to the other party why you're sharing what you're sharing. That was incredibly helpful. Thank you so much, Courtney. Oh, you bet. I'm going to go into the last couple of closing questions that I ask to everyone. Um, the One of them is about the title of the podcast, which is The Art of Speaking Up and what it means to you. Now, we've spent a lot of this particular conversation very focused on that. So you can either throw in more or maybe just add some motivation or, you know, talk to women who are in that spot where it's still really scary and hard. Well, I think I'd offer uh, just a couple of thoughts on this piece, some of which we've spoken about in the podcast already, but I'll try to share them more succinctly here. The first is, you know, boys and men don't ever think about this as an issue. Most boys and men do not think twice about speaking up. So just know that and let that sink into your bones and understand the difference between what you're experiencing and what your male colleagues are experiencing. And then second, expect that of yourself. Expect that you will have a voice. Expect that you will share your opinion. Expect of yourself that you are going to sometimes say the thing that you don't want to say or the thing that feels uncomfortable that is not perfect. But expect that you will have an opinion and expect that you will share it. And um, the third thing would be practice that, right? Don't just do that once and call it call it good. Um, do that daily. Do it daily in your life in various different environments so that it starts to feel comfortable for you. And then the fourth thing to reiterate, you know, build a really solid network around you of friends and then give back to your friends and to your female colleagues um, this idea of amplification so that they feel very well supported as well to have a voice and to share it. I love that. And I'm sure you can speak to this too, Courtney, but how good does it feel when you start, like you do the scary thing and you're like, whoa, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it feels really great. And then you understand, like, it's like anytime you walk through a door that you were afraid to walk through, not a literal door, but maybe, maybe a literal door, right? You, you get on the other side of the thing and you often think, right? Wow. Well, that was easier than I thought it would be. And I, I'm not going to go back through that door because that's actually harder than walking through it, right? So it feels great. And 
it will it will feel comfortable. And then you'll find another challenge to tackle, right? There's always more work to be done. Yeah, I think sometimes seeing that upside can be motivating, you know, knowing it's going to feel really good when you do it. Yeah, it, it can be very motivating. And, you know, and again, I think when you, it's just like anything, when you start to really focus on the details, you know, start thinking to yourself, like, how frequently do I not say what I want to say? Or are my female colleagues doing that? And how are they doing that? And what are my male colleagues doing that the female colleagues aren't doing? So when you start to focus on these things, and you start to see the detail of them, then you started to put into practice doing it yourself, right? Speaking up, having a voice, being assertive, and you find it to be actually probably easier than you thought. Then, like I said, there's so much more that you'll start seeing and there's so much more change that you'll start affecting. And then you'll you'll end up like me, <laughs> which I hope is a good thing, where you start to be really focused on mentoring people who are coming up behind you because you under because because you've been there. You you know how challenging it's been and you want to sort of pay it forward or give back. I love that. Oh my gosh, that was so perfect. I'm going to go into the closing question which um just connects back to why I started the show, which is because I went through some very rough times, especially when I was in my early mid 20s and sorting out all of these things. And so I started this show to make women feel less alone, to make them feel good and empowered to go after whatever they want. So I want to give you the floor to talk to women and share whatever it is you want to share with them. Yes. Well, and I so appreciate that. And, you know, hopefully you've been able to hear some of the passion in my voice today oh, yes. <laughs> about this uh, issue about um, mentoring women and helping to amplify their voices. And I think, you know, oftentimes we're asked, like, what is your life mantra? And or like, what are the words that you live by? And of course, you know, I've got many, many things that I live by. But one thing that I always come back to is by the great Lauren Hill, <laughs> which she says, how are you going to win if you ain't right within? And I, I think about that almost every day, like, am I right within? And how do I wake up every day and focus on being right within whatever that means to me at that time? So that when I go to share in a corporate setting with my friends and family, with my children, right, that I'm coming from an authentic, powerful place uh, because I'm right within and I've started with me and I understand what's meaningful and authentic for me so that I can share it and feel great about it. Thank you so much for coming on, Courtney. This has been so much fun. Oh, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening. And I hope that hearing my conversation with Courtney made you feel a little bit more okay if there are any places either in your career or in your life where you're still trying to be more assertive and where maybe it is hard to express your needs or to disagree. And I hope that she inspired you the way that she inspired me to constantly be looking for places and little opportunities where we can push ourselves and where we can disagree or express our needs where we might not have otherwise done that. And we don't need to be perfect at it and we don't need to do it perfectly right away. 
But we can just give ourselves a little push. If there's a situation where you're thinking something and you normally might have kept it to yourself because you're afraid of, you know, how it might make you look or what people might think of you, that's okay. Don't judge yourself for feeling that way. But ask yourself if this is the moment, if maybe you're ready to disagree and you're ready to voice that. And if you're not ready, that's okay too. But be open with yourself and look around for those opportunities because I have a feeling that once you start doing it and once you get over that initial scary hump of asserting yourself in situations where you typically stay quiet, you'll begin to see how much power it creates. And I suspect that a very special kind of change or shift will begin to happen. And that empowered voice that you start to tap into is going to start to spill out into other areas of your career and your life. So look for those opportunities and see when you're ready. Ask yourself if you feel ready to disagree or to say something that you might have been afraid to say. So thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with a friend. If there's someone who you know who might also feel empowered listening to this, tell them about it. My main goal with this show is impact, so the more people I can help, the better. So thank you for listening. If you've gotten to this point in the episode, I am so appreciative of the fact that I get to share all of this with you. And I hope you're excited for next week's episode. We're going to take a little bit of a shift in topic next week. I want to keep it a surprise because I'm really excited about it. But um, I think it'll be helpful to you and I think you'll enjoy it. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. Thank you for letting me infiltrate your ears. Have an amazing day. And maybe look for a little opportunity today to speak up and say what's on your mind, even if you're a little bit afraid. I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye. If you want to advance in your career, you have to be able to speak up with confidence and advocate for what it is you need. There's a word for this skill. It's called assertiveness. And many women find it very difficult to do. Luckily, it is totally possible to build confidence in your voice, and I wrote an ebook specifically to help you do that. It's called The Smart, Ambitious Woman's Guide to Assertiveness in the Workplace, and it will guide you through a series of simple steps that will help you speak up and be more assertive in a way that feels authentic to who you really are. To get your free copy, go to www.assertivenessebook.com or go to the free resources section at the bottom of the show notes where you will find the link. Remember, your voice is your key to success at work and you are empowered to decide how you want to use it.